The advice and opinions expressed by the hosts of Autism Live and her guests are meant solely as suggestion and should not be in any way construed as child-specific advice. The Center for Autism and Related Disorders advises working with a board-certified behavior analyst who has experience with autism before starting any intensive behavioral intervention. Any choices you make in determining your child's treatment are completely at your own discretion. and opinions expressed by the hosts of Autism Live and her guests are meant solely as suggestion and should not be in any way construed as child-specific advice. The Center for Autism and Related Disorders advises working with a board-certified behavior analyst who has experience with autism before starting any intensive behavioral intervention. Any choices you make in determining your child's treatment are completely at your own discretion. Welcome to Autism Live. I'm Shannon Penrod, and we're still coming to you live from my house and Traven's house and other people's houses, and it's all good. Uh, I'm, I'm saying it's all good because I'm trying to move forward with it all, which is part of what our show is all going to be about today. Uh, but I'm really grateful to be here with you today, and I mean that sincerely. Uh, I would love to hear from all of you. We're going to be live for the next hour talking about some really interesting things that, of course, impact and have to do with the autism community. And when I say the autism community, of course, here we're talking about individuals who are on the autism spectrum. They are the beating heart, the core of this community. But we here on Autism Live also include everyone who loves those individuals, right? Uh, we all have unique um, things that we're striving for. We want to not just survive, but we want to thrive, right? So we hope to provide information and inspiration to that entire autism community and give a voice to that entire autism community. That's what we're here about. That is what our, our mission is. And please let us know if you feel like we're not getting that done. We are, our ears are open. We are listening to what you guys are saying. So uh, let's talk first about some of the different ways that you can connect with us, because I think that um, especially today, we're going to be talking about some things that I think are, are going to really cut uh, right to the core for folks. So we're live right now on Facebook, on YouTube, on Twitter, and on our homepage, autism-live.com. On any of those four, uh, four platforms, you can be interacting with us with kind of I would say a fair amount of ease, especially Facebook, YouTube, and Twitter. If you write in on those platforms right now, we will be able to see your comments almost in real time. Go ahead. If you're watching, say, hey, say hi, tell us where you're watching. We'd love to hear from you. We'll do a shout out to you. Uh, if there's ever something you want to write and you don't want me to read it to the audience at home, please put that first in the message so that I, you know, see that you don't want it read out loud, that it's private. That's okay too. Um, but, uh, especially on autism-live.com, it's totally private, right? Uh, and, and we really appreciate you guys interacting with us on all of those platforms. I also want to say that we're live on a bunch of other platforms and, and Traven is going to be cycling through some of them. Um, and we appreciate your comments. It's just a little bit slower getting to us on those platforms, but that's okay too. I, and if you're not watching us live, and many of you don't watch us live, we are available as a free podcast wherever you download podcasts. And um, we love being able to do that. We are, I'm just so proud 
um, of all of you, because it's not, I don't, you know, we, I certainly, I can attribute a lot of it to Traven, but we are right now the number one podcast for autism in the world. But that is, as I said, Traven can take some credit for that, but mostly it's you guys, because you've liked us, you've shared us, you've commented, you've uh, done reviews, you've hit that little bell on, uh, on the YouTube channel. Uh, we really appreciate when you guys do that because that helps us to be able to connect with you. We always say here that if you find something that you like here, then please share it down the line. Show it to somebody else. Tag somebody that you know could use this information. It is free, and I'm really happy and excited to be able to continue to, to do that for this community. It's a, a free resource. And by the way, we also love it when you write in and ask questions. I always start off the show by reminding you that we have plenty of experts on the show. We have a wonderful expert coming up in just a few minutes uh, on the show to talk with you and we want you to be able to interact with them. But I do want you to remember that I'm not one of those experts. Yes, I am a, a, a parent, a proud parent of an adult now who was diagnosed with autism when he was two and a half. Uh, but that doesn't make me an expert in autism. And I think we need to be abundantly clear about that. And yes, I've been hosting shows journalistically about autism for over a decade. Still doesn't make me an expert in autism. Makes me somebody who has an informed opinion, maybe. Yeah, sometimes, sometimes not. Uh, but not an expert in autism. So I, 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 I'm happy to answer any of your questions and happy. Good morning to Kimono Dragon. So thrilled to have you here. Happy to answer any of your questions. Happy to give my opinion freely. Um, but I just want to be clear and give the disclaimer that I am not an expert in autism, which is why I bring you lots of experts in lots of different areas, autism and other areas. So keep all of that in mind. And we're really excited. Uh, we got a great lineup uh, this week. In just a few minutes, I'm going to be welcoming, for the first time on the show, Dr. Leonard Felder, and he is the author of this book, Keeping Your Heart Open. We're going to talk more about this. But this is a book that I think it's time is now, and I'm going to guarantee you, you're going to hear something that you're like, oh, I needed to hear that today. Uh, so you don't want to miss this. I love, if, if you didn't feel it from that, the subtitle of the book is How to Overcome the Things that Make Us Numb, Cynical, or Burned Out. Ladies and gentlemen, mic drop. I think that's all of us need that, right? So stick around because we're going to get to Dr. Felder in just a few minutes. But before we do that, we like to start off our Monday with something we fondly refer to as the jargon of the day. This is when we take on one word, one phrase, one acronym, we try to figure out what in the hey, nani nani, are these experts talking about? What does this have to do with me? Why do I even have to bother to learn this, right? My litmus test is if, if it can save us time and money and help us to get to progress, then let's take a second to talk about it, right? But let's not get overwhelmed. I don't know about all of you, but I had, I had a career previous to being a parent of somebody who was on the autism spectrum. And I, you know, I, I had my terminal degree in that. And I love being a student, don't get me wrong. But to go, you know, to feel like I had to go back to school, uh, I didn't have time to go back to school, but that I had to learn all of these terms and it was dire because I needed to help my child was overwhelming to me, like shooting pains in my neck, overwhelming to me. Right. So uh, what I love is when we and I'm sure we're going to talk about with this with Dr. Felder, you know, we don't have to be overwhelmed. We can take other paths. And so what we do with the jargon, rather than being overwhelmed by it, is we take it just like eating an elephant, one bite at a time, and we try to make it fun. So what we do is first we give you the actual definition, and then whenever possible, I make total fun of that because uh, it's my hobby. And then we give you a working definition, and we try, even sometimes that we have to make fun of, right? But we try to cons consolidate it down, distill it, that's the word I want, to something that you can kind of get your fingers wrapped around. And if you can't, don't panic because sometimes it takes more than once. And sometimes it takes a little bit of experience, but often, and whatever, I love when we go to face-to-face -face conferences, because my favorite thing is when people come up to me and go, oh my gosh, the jargon of the day. <laughs> uh, 
you know, baby BCBAs will come up to me and go, oh, the, the jargon of the day, and will you explain this, and the aha, or when a parent comes up and says that, it makes me the happiest woman on the face of the planet. Keep in mind, uh, you know, part of it is that I needed to learn these terms too. So today's jargon term, which I think is something that is greatly, greatly misunderstood, and I'm so glad that we have an opportunity to talk about it, is automatic reinforcement. So we've been talking about the four usual suspects about why people engage in behavior and in, in particular challenging behavior. And I want to be clear that when we're talking about this, we're not just talking about people who have a diagnosis of, uh, diagnosis of an autism spectrum disorder. That No, we all engage in these behaviors, right? Challenging behaviors, think about it. Every single one of us has something that we do that is not really helping us to get to our purpose um, and is something that we wish that we were doing something else, but we kind of have a hard time stopping that, right? And there are four usual suspects with that asterisk number five. So auto automatic reinforcement, let's just quickly go through what the four usual suspects are. Attention, we do things for attention. And remember that we... And everyone else, if we're not getting enough attention, we will take bad attention. Former school teacher here, and believe me, if you have a kiddo whose bucket is not full and not getting enough attention, they will act out just so you say stop it because that is attention, right? We do things to escape something or someone. We all do that. We talked about that on Thursday, right? We do things to get access to someone or something. Think about a lot of our day is to get access to someone or something right? And if we can't get access to it, we will engage in behavior that's challenging. People go to jobs because they want to gain access to money, right? And for people who can't work, they get into desperate situations and sometimes will commit criminal acts to get access to money, which gets them access to other things, right? All of these we understand. Then we get into this squishy category that's this, automatic reinforcement, and I think if we were to distill down what you guys write in about that you have questions about, I would say that nine tenths of them are about something that's automatically reinforcing. This is the category where it's the sensory stuff. This is the category where, um, you know, it's people call stimming. We'll talk about that in a second. I'm getting way ahead of myself. So let's take a look at what our actual definition of automatic reinforcement is. Here we go. Automatic reinforcement refers to situations in which behavior is maintained by operant mechanisms independent of the social environment. Woo! Ladies and gentlemen, the perfect example of why we do have to take time twice a week to do the jargon of the day. Because can you hear the garbage disposal in the background? Because that's the only place, unless you already have an advanced degree in psychology, that this definition would be useful. Automatic refer, it refers to situations in which behavior is maintained by operant. Anytime somebody says operant, I don't know about all of you, but I go, right, <laughs> you know, operant mechanisms. We're talking about a machine now, independent of the social environment. What the heck are we talking about? Doesn't it sound like a gear got stuck in a factory? And that, and it's so completely the opposite of what this is. So let's go down to our working definition and see if we can't make some BCBAs break out into hives by our working definition. Okay, so the behavior, I call this, it's an inside job, right? So the behavior happens because it feels good. That's a little bit imperfect, a little bit clunky, um, because sometimes it doesn't feel good, but it diminishes how bad something else feels. Here's an example for kids that we see that hit themselves in the head, right? Sometimes they are doing that because they have a really bad headache. And the momentary pain of hitting their head reduces the larger pain of what the other thing is. So that's why this is a little bit clunky, not quite working. Um, but but it's a, a simplistic way of saying that there's a, that the reinforcement, the reward that we're getting, is some, it's an inside job. We can't see it, like we can guess what it is, but, but it's something that's on the, it's personal. It's on the inside. That's why I call it the inside job. So when a lot of times people will refer to stimming, 
And the first time somebody, I, you know, I asked my, the, uh, like a, a new person on our team, I think it was an OT. I said, why is my son doing that? And it was probably hand flapping or, or, you know, he would make these high pitch noises and turn in a circle and flap his hands. And I would go, it's so weird looking. Why is he doing that? And they said, oh, he's stimming. Um, and I hear that term just all uh, stimming. What is, what is stimming? And of course I'm, you know, Googling it and, you know, I, at that time, that was many years ago, you Googled stimming and nothing came up. Um, and I said, what is that? Is that short for something? And the person I was talking to didn't even know that stimming is short for self-stimulatory behavior, which is also a misnomer because sometimes we do things to stimulate ourselves and sometimes we do things to calm ourselves, right? And they are all in this category of automatic reinforcement that inside job right but you know we say stimming but it's not quite accurate right so think about this for just a second and notice that i said we all because this is all of us every single living thing on the planet does things that are automatically reinforcing and the idea that we would try to get rid of them is crazy if we took away everyone's ability to self-soothe, well, we would see a lot of the behavior that we're seeing right now because in the pandemic, we did take away a lot of people's ability to self-soothe. And they replaced it sometimes with good things and sometimes with bad things. But my point here is a lot of times I'll hear people saying about, well, you know, we're trying to get rid of the stim. We don't like the stim and we want to get rid of the stim. And, and I just want to say to you, this is so like antithetical to where you want to be. Uh, we don't want to get rid of stims. What we want to do is give every individual the ability to self-soothe in a way that is not harming them. And it can be harmful as in how about the people who smoke, right? If Sometimes we find out that people smoke because they're self-stimulatory things. Sometimes it's the addiction to the nicotine, right? Sometimes it's just that people are taking a deep breath, right? But we, and as much as it's taking a deep breath, we know cigarette smoking is not good for your health, right? It, it might be short term because it gets you a break. It might be short term because it helps you to have a moment to yourself. But long term, this is not a good strategy right? Um, so when we try to have somebody stop smoking, you know, there are lots of places that are just like, oh, quit cold turkey. <laughs> and there are movies about quitting cold turkey and what it does to people. It's not kind. It's not kind and it's not effective. Science has shown us that that is not effective. So when we talk about um, self-stimulatory behavior, I think, first of all, we got to look at it through the first lens, which is, is this behavior preventing other things that are healthy. Because it's when, you know, it's when it comes up against this. So, you know, I will have self-advocates who tell me that they rock, that rocking is something that is self-soothing to them. I don't know if you've tried it, try it. It is self-soothing. It's why we have rocking chairs. It is not a bad behavior. There's nothing wrong with rocking, except that if you're trying to do something that's like, let's say you're a diamond cutter, and you're trying to precision cut a diamond, this is not a moment in which you are going to be successful if you're rocking and cutting a diamond. So first we have to stop and ask ourselves, is this someone who is doing something that does not allow them to rock? Sometimes the issue is that there are neurotypical people who are made uncomfortable by the behavior. And I think we got to start leading the conversation into not just saying, that a group of people have to stop doing the thing that's self-soothing because it makes other people uncomfortable. I think we need to start making the conversation with the neurotypical people and going, what is it about that that makes you uncomfortable? Like maybe that's your problem, not the other person's problem. But I think we also have to acknowledge that when you're rocking, it's hard to be painting, it's hard to be drawing, it's hard to be writing. It's even hard to be typing, although I know some people who can rock and type at the same time. And if you can, more power to you. But a lot of other people struggle, especially in the learning. So if we look at a behavior and we go, contextually, there are some times when this behavior, although it does fulfill a need, and that's super important that we don't forget that, it's preventing growth that's meaningful to this individual. 
And that's who, let me say it again, growth that's meaningful to this individual, whoever that is. Not necessarily just to somebody's parents, but meaningful to that individual. Um, you know, the other day on our show, somebody wrote in and said, you know, how do I connect with my child who's nonverbal and how can I grow language? And I gave a little bit of an example and somebody else wrote in and I, you know, I'm sure from a place of love and, and um, real good, they were like, you know, stop trying to teach them how to commun communicate other ways and just, you know, love them and communicate their way. And I don't disagree with that at all, except the part of stop teaching them. Because I think it's important to teach people and give them skills, no matter who they are, um, you know, no matter where they live, no matter anything, you know, what their religion is, what their political affiliation is, what their, what the hue of their skin color is. I think teaching is important and giving people the opportunity to learn um, and not giving up on someone because they can't learn in the way that other people do. Um, so I'm all about giving people opportunities to learn and finding other ways, but in the process, we have to be compassionate, right? So if you are trying to get a behavior to not be present at a specific time, because contextually it's not working. So for instance, the person who wants to be an author and wants to type, giving them a, a way to self-soothe that, for instance, isn't rocking while they're typing but, but totally giving them an opportunity when they're done to go and rock it out. Um, I think we have to come from that compassionate place of not trying to eliminate self-rewarding uh, behaviors, automatic reinforcing behaviors. Um, but we can morph and shape. I love the example of Temple Grandin that she loved to spin this metal plate on her bed. And she still says, you know, that if her mom had let her, that's all she would have ever done. She would never have gotten advanced degrees. She would never have had the life that she had. She would never have the friends that she has because she would have sat there and spin the plate. Because in the moment for her, that's all that was reinforcing. Now, her mother, Eustacia Cutler, you know, one of, one of my heroes, didn't say, you know, enough of that. Stop doing that. You can't do that. That's not what Eustacia said. Eustacia said, that's cool. That's wonderful. That's one of the great pleasures in your life, but you got to do other things as well. So she said, you get one hour a day to sit in your bedroom, spin that plate, utilize it, take your time, do it. But then you got to go and muck the stall out um, in, you know, in the barn with the horses. And as a result of that, she got very interested in animals, which led to a career in, in animal behavior. Come on. And, and training the world's experts on animal behavior, um, which she gets real excited about. And I think is as excited about as spinning the metal plate. Although if you talk to her, she says that and running sand at the beach through her fingers, she says, oh, I could do that all day. Uh, and she's still excited about it. What a wonderful, round human being she is. Uh, and we all need to be round human beings. So automatic behavior, it's behavior that we do because it feels good somewhere on the inside or it helps something on the inside. We don't want to eradicate these behaviors, but we want to shape them, give them context. And when something is challenging and warring with something that is personally meaningful, we want to sometimes give a replacement behavior that does the same thing. Um, that someone, let's say that someone's typing and they, and they can't manage the rocking, um, but they can bounce their foot. We see a lot of people who do that. So they still get that paycheck on the inside, but they're able to do the things that they want to do. I love looking at behavior in that way, in that compassionate way. Um, but I also want all of us to be thinking about if you see somebody engaged in a behavior that makes you tense, that makes you nervous, let's all stop and go, what's up with me that that behavior makes me nervous? Why is that me instead of assigning, oh, you need to do it my way to somebody else? And let's spread that message to the four corners of the earth, shall we? I think that would be a good thing to do on a Monday. Yeah. All right. Moving on. We always have a question of the day. I'm always trying to not be late and I'm still late. What do you do to calm yourself? 
because we talked about stimulate ourselves and, and calming ourselves. What do you do to calm yourself down? And it might be more than one thing. I know for me, when I've got something on my mind, like I'm a terrible housekeeper. Can I just admit that like, it's just, I do not have the attention span to house clean. It is not my thing, right? But when I'm trying to work through something that I've got to have a conversation with somebody and I'm, and I got to rehearse it in my head, the best thing in the world for me to do is Colleen. And because it becomes mindless, I'm doing these activities and I'm thinking in my head and it gets me centered. It gets me focused and, and my bathroom is clean or my kitchen is clean afterwards, uh, which is a wonderful, wonderful thing. Now I'm also capable when I'm stressed about something of eating it out. We're trying to like not do that as much, right? Cause that is antithetical to what I really want to be doing. Does it work short term? Yeah, it does. Um, but I like the cleaning the kitchen better, but you know, it's gotta be a certain level of things. Cause otherwise I can't, if I don't have something that's really got me preoccupied, man, I'm just not into the housework. It's just not happening for me. But what do you guys do to calm yourself down? My mother used to love it when I would get mad about something. Cause I would be just scrubbing kitchen cabinets down and she'd go, let her be mad. <laughs> let her go. Everybody'd be like, well, what's going on? This is not you. <laughs> My mother go, no, no, let her work it out. Right? <laughs> uh, so what do you guys do to calm yourselves down? We'll want to hear. Uh, go ahead and write into us. Okay, moving on. We always have a topic of the week. Let's see what our topic of the week is. Is it sensory? Sometimes when we look at a behavior that somebody is doing, um, we can get real judgmental about it, right? Um, and it's not just us, it's the whole world. And sometimes we're that way with ourselves that we get, uh, gosh, I'm watching that show physical. Ooh, almost can't do it. Um, it's on, uh, I think it's on Apple TV and you get to hear the inner thoughts of this woman who, uh, um, is bulimic. Ooh, ooh, the things that she says to herself. Um, but at a certain point, you know, I think it's always a good question to ask ourselves, is this challenging behavior happening because of a sensory issue? Because you're going to go about it entirely different when it's a sensory issue. Sometimes we look at something and it's just behavioral, but what, a lot of times with autism, there is a sensory component. I always say when it, you know, the difference between a tantrum and a meltdown, tantrum is when somebody's upset. Meltdown is if you gave them what they wanted and they would still be upset. That's a meltdown. And I think almost all the time, if not all of the time, there is a sensory component to a meltdown. There's something else on top of it. Yeah, I wanted the candy cane. Yes, I wanted the chocolate bar. Yes, I wanted to play with the toy. Um, and I was upset about it and I threw a tantrum, right? But then when it gets into meltdown and you gave the child the candy and they're still hysterical, for me, um, my bet is on that there is a sensory component. And I use the example of a child, but let's realize that we are all children, all of us. Um, we are somebody's child and we are all children and we all have sensory issues. You do not have to have a diagnosis of autism to have sensory issues. Just put a bunch of people in a room and go, what sound makes you crazy? Uh, or, or what smell can you not bear to smell? Or, you know, what place can you not bear to be in? And I'll guarantee you will find the sensory component to it, right? So I think it's important to constantly be thinking of that and not leave that off the table when you're looking at what's going on when things aren't working well, whether it's you, your student, your child, your spouse, um, the person who sits across from you at work. Um, what, you know, if something isn't working, have you asked yourself, what's the sensory component? I've seen people who aren't getting along in an office and you turn off the overhead fluorescent lights and suddenly everybody's happier. It, you know, it's crazy, but it's not. All right. So that's our topic for today. So I got to get to my wonderful guest. So for the first time on our show, but I suspect not the last, if he's willing, Dr. Leonard Felder is here. Um, he is an amazing, let me just start by saying that he's written several books, appeared on Oprah and count CNN and countless other places is a true expert. Um, and 
has some amazing things to say that I think will resonate deeply with our community, but really with all communities right now. Um, I, you know, and, and we could take a minute to talk about the other books um, that he's written, including We See It So Differently and When Difficult Relatives Happen to Good People. <laughs> it's just some of his books, so you'll want to check out his library. Um, but this book in particular, Keeping Your Heart Open, the subtitle is How to Overcome the Things That Make Us Numb, Cynical, or Burned Out. I'm telling you that this is the book for the, this moment in time. Um, I, I put a thing on my Facebook this morning. I said, are, are you feeling, you know, checked out? Are you feeling like you are just on another planet and that you are working on a short fuse and you just don't even feel like yourself because of everything that's going on? This is the book. This is the book that um, he's going to help us to show, find our way back. So I'm, I, and we, I'm also going to let him tell you what his connection is to the autism community because it is a beautiful connection that we here at Autism Live are especially fans of. So let's welcome to the show, Doctor Leonard Felder. Hi, it's good to talk with you. I really love the the class you just gave me on stimming. I mean, it was it was so. Oh accessible it was so understandable and it definitely applies to all people not just people in the autism spectrum well thank you so much i'm so excited for you to be here i'm just hoping i don't cry during this interview that's how excited i am for you to be here um because this and i and i gotta look to see if i have my my my, my child who has autism whenever i cry which i cry often she throws the um the box at me so <laughs> i wish we were in the studio because i would take it i would totally take it um, but that was one of the things that I was going to ask you. It says it on, on your book jacket, but I didn't want to say it for you. Um, but talk for two seconds about what your connection is to, uh, to the autism community, because it's personal to us. Well, as a psychologist, I got zero training on how to deal with people with autism. I didn't know anything. And then um, my wife and I adopted a child. And um, after a few years, we figured out something's going on here. And then the, the labels and the diagnosis came. And so we've been in school. We've been in school learning, and it, it never ends. We're always learning stuff. We always think we know what's going on, but like you said before, sometimes it's a sensory issue, and we think we know what's going on, and then slowly you go, well, wait, what, what if it's a sensory issue? And then you try to figure out what's going on. So we're learning every day, and, and my child, whose name is Ilani, Ilani's teaching me everyday stuff that I need to learn. So like with this book, Keeping Your Heart Open, you know, I'm a compassionate person. I'm a psychologist, but sometimes Ilani says to me, Dad, you're using that soft therapist voice right now, but you are really pissed off and I can smell it. Okay, so, so it's like, oh my God, I'm so busted. And so I'm realizing every day that if I'm not breathing and if I'm not doing certain things to stay centered, my autistic kid, and you know, autistic kids aren't supposed to be able to read nonverbal cues, go, you know, <laughs> take, take that. That's not true. So she picks up all sorts of stuff that I don't even know I'm sending out. And then slowly I have to trust her. I have to open up. I have to make sure I'm not ruining the situation and making it worse by my own agitation. Well, I I love hearing all of that. And I think it just uh, tells our audience too, that not only are you gonna tell us about how, how we're feeling, but you're coming from a place of understanding uh, baseline of some of what all of us are going through because we have these children that we love um, and we're not always sure that I think I think part of it. Tell me if I'm wrong here is that we're not, as you said, no one gave you a class. No one handed me a booklet when my child was born and said, oh, by the way, your child's going to get a diagnosis of something that you're a little bit unfamiliar with. Um, so here's the manual of how to be a parent and how to parent someone who's on the spectrum. Uh -huh. But your your daughter is a gift to our community. Um, she's been on the show before and am I allowed to say, to talk about, um, you know, why she was on the show and, and talk about the film? Is that okay? That's okay. But I just got to tell you, you know, we're, we're always learning more about our kids. So we always knew that our kid possibly was gay, but we didn't know that she was transgender. And then she slowly began to reveal to us just how much she is transgender. And then she was in this wonderful workshop with Jason Weisbrod where they, Ask everybody to talk about their truth, and it's all people on the spectrum. It's called Spectrum Laboratory. And Ilani said, well, can I make a movie about being transgender and autistic? And Jason said, yes. And so all of a sudden, we jumped into another universe, and we got to bump into people like you who said nice things about the film. And, and you know, all these nice things happened 
because our kid was willing to tell the truth and other people were willing to listen. Yeah. Well, and she told the truth in a time and space when the truth needed to be told and it, and it wasn't being told, it wasn't being told about the, about individuals on the the spectrum. There were lots of things that were out there um, about being gay. There were lots of things about being transgender, but she stepped up and, and is, I think, you know, one of the bravest pioneers um, in our community because she stepped up and it's just amazing the avalanche of what we've heard from people. But the film, I'm, I am one of the biggest fans. I got to elbow other people because there's a long line of people um, who are big fans uh, boys don't wear dresses. I've, I've talked about it before on the show and I don't, I don't know, you know, sometimes it's available at a festival, but you guys should be Googling it, trying to see it. Uh, it's important and it's beautiful and it's funny and it's delightful and it's short. You have no, you have no reasons not to see it. But so that is Dr. Felder's daughter. Um, so he's walking his talk y'all. Um, so and something I, I, I want to say to other parents yeah. though is, like our daughter is really smart and she reads at a first grade level. She's 28, but she's brilliant in all sorts of things, including telling the truth about her experience. So if she has somebody else to be the scribe or if she has a team of people who know how to draw out of her what's going on and you know, great things can happen from your kid, but sometimes it's gonna take a village and it's gonna take you, know, you saying, I didn't even realize this was possible we didn't realize this stuff was possible. You know, we, we didn't realize that she could co-author a screenplay. Yeah. Well, not only could she, but she could co-author an award-winning screenplay that would change the way the world looked at people on the spectrum and people who are transgender on the spectrum and people who are gay uh, on the spectrum and, and in a big way, like, that's a whole other show. So, but I just wanted to, you know, because I think people will go, okay, well, Dr. Felder really knows what he's talking about because, uh, like I said, he's walking his talk. So, this new book, um, you sent this to me, and I got to tell you, it, 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 I like it was almost like a do 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 kind of thing um, that I'll get to in a little while here. But I, I want to talk about this a little bit because we have so many caregivers, parents who are writing into us on a daily basis, and they are at their wits end, Dr. Felder. I think you know this, that this pandemic has just taken us all right down to the studs. And when people have kiddos that are on the spectrum and you get into a moment, people are saying, I, I'm just not my best self right now. Uh, they're not their best selves and I'm having trouble coping. Tell us, you know, I, I want people to get this and, and, and I want you, where can they get it? Amazon, right? Is Amazon yeah, the best place really to get easy, Real yeah. easy on Amazon. But give us, give us some things here for the parent who is in that moment with their child and their child is having a hard time and the parent is having that moment where they're like, I don't know if I've got this in me today. Uh-huh. What, what, give us some tips um, from the book and from you about, and give us an idea of how the book helps us to get through those moments. Well, the book is a whole bunch of tools and methods that have worked for me, worked for other people. And you get to pick which tools you like, which, you know, it's like the question you asked for the day, well, how do you calm yourself? So there's two different ways I'll, I'll answer that one quickly. One is if you come from the compassion place, if you can remind yourself in that moment, is my heart open? Can I get my heart open? Because my heart isn't open right now. I'm actually feeling very judgmental and patient. And I got to get this kid out of the store before there's an explosion. Um, if your heart is open, you're going to be a lot more creative. You're going to be a lot more effective. Your kid's going to be able to sense that you're there with them. And you're, and you're, not, you're not the enemy um, because your heart is open. They feel the connection. So that's if you can go to the compassion place. If you can't go to the compassion place, that's not your favorite language but you're an efficient person, you can go to the efficiency place. The efficiency place is, if I breathe, and if I talk in a calm voice, it's sincere calm, not fake calm, and if I can connect with what's going on with my kid right now, this is gonna last two or three minutes. If I come from the judgmental place, or the I know what's going on, and I'm gonna tell, or I'm the parent, and damn it, you're gonna listen to me, um, that's gonna last for hours. I mean, you're gonna, you're gonna create a meltdown that's gonna last for hours with repercussions and video. You know, so, and you might even get to see Child Protective Services at the end of this game. So you, you don't want that. You, you, you want the efficient one. And the efficient one requires either going to the compassion place 
or saying from the efficiency place, I can breathe here and I can try to access either my spiritual or my intellectual or some of the things that I was taught by Shannon or somebody else. And I can use those tools right now because if I don't use those tools right now, I'm dead meat. I'm just, (laughs) this kid is going to go ballistic and, and, nobody is going to understand that I'm a good parent and that I'm not really as bad as I look right now. Yeah. It's, uh, and I so appreciate that. Uh, you know, one of the things that I love about the book, it sort of reminded me of the way you have it um, separated into these uh, headings. It reminded me of friends, <laughs> the show, the TV show friends, because as you go through the book um, there's little titles everywhere where it's sort of the, the heading for what you're about to talk about. Um, and then you'll get tools. But this if, is the episode with the breathing, and this is the episode yeah, with, the, with, the, with the kind exactly. of talk. Of course, I'm trying to find one now, and of course, I'm finding everything okay. else. I'm finding all of the options. Okay, right. the woman who finally listened to the parts of her soul that were feeling neglected, uh, right? And and you look at that, and you go, oh, I, I think I need to read that one, right? Um, and and there are so many of them through throughout the book that, and you can sort of, I mean, I love reading a book cover to cover, but I also like going in and opening up a book and going, okay, what does it say today? Um, The mom with the frustrated teen. Um, So there are all these headings that I think you guys will go, oh, I think he's talking to me. But then you get into your options where you where just like you did, where you have option one and you have option two. And I love that because sometimes I think, Dr. Felder, we feel like I... I don't have any choices. I, somebody's strangling me and I have to do this. I have to, have to, have to. And for me, knowing that I have an option that I can look at it this way, or I can look at it this way, or I can, you know, totally mess this up. And like you said, take twice as long for the day. I don't know. That helps to ratchet my anxiety down is knowing that I have options. So I really appreciate it that you put it. Um, okay. The woman who invited her kids to teach her how to be a better mom. I loved that one. Our kids, our kids, they'll teach us. I mean, whether they're verbal or nonverbal, if they've got an iPad, they will teach you what they're irritated by. What you mean, my kid has taught me so much about my tone of voice, when it's patronizing, when it's condescending, when it's impatient. I mean, I'm getting a master class in cleaning up my act from a person who, you know, it probably could not get a teaching credential in California, but she's a damn good teacher. Yeah. I, uh, my son took me to school the other day. Uh, let me know how I was not getting the job done. And I'll tell you something, it's humbling. Um, but I, because I was reading your book, I was able to, you know, have the option of breathing through it and saying, why don't I be open to listening to this? Why don't I be open? Because if, if what I want is to be the best possible mom, to my child, then why don't I be open to hearing what he has to say and not take it personal in, in terms of beating myself up, but to take it on and, and go, okay, what, what is useful here? And can I, can I potentially change what I'm doing to do job number one, which is to right. show up for my kid. You went to the compassion place there and you're a good compassion person, but if someone's not feeling the compassion, they're just feeling the efficiency, they can say, you know what? My kid's actually offering me a shortcut if I would just shut up and listen. They know the shortcut to, to save me from making a fool of myself and making this much worse. Yeah, I, it's really amazing. The, the book is incredible. And it and I think one of the things that's amazing is that it's so current um, that you talk about, you know, how we are all feeling right now and that some of us are feeling numb. Some of us are just like in this haze uh, where we're not quite sure what's going on. I feel like there's a certain amount of, there's even a commercial right now that says, oh, isn't it great? And it shows all these things that you can go do. And they're like, you can go here now and you can go there now and you can see your friends and isn't it wonderful? And then there's a moment in the commercial where the person takes a breath and says, is it just me or does it seem like it's harder than it was before? Oh, wow. I, I didn't see that. That's great. And I, and I was like, What? And, but then they continue on and say, but you still got to try, you still got to do it. I don't even know what the commercial is for, 
But every time I see it, and they play it a lot during the Olympics, I, I go, oh, it's collective that we're all struggling a little bit. Right. That this is a, this, is a, but this book I think is uh, the ticket, you guys, because I, th I think you're all going to find yourselves in many of these stories, and that it's super duper helpful. Um, whether it's that we're dealing with our kiddos on the spectrum or let's switch to talk a little bit about for couples um, that for, you know, a, for a lot of years we've talked about, uh, I'm going to talk specifically about parents who have kiddos on the spectrum, um, that the statistic was that most of us were going to end up uh, divorced. Uh, but it isn't true. We've now seen that that is not the case, that some couples get stronger staying together, but COVID has really pushed things and everybody's compassion and dealing with our kiddos. It's put us all in the Petri dish a little bit more. So what do you recommend and talk a little bit about what the book recommends about for couples and, and this new tension with our kiddos and with each other, because we've all been in this different set of circumstances and are coming out of it. Okay, I'll give three quickies. The first one's based on what you just said before about we've all got shorter fuses. And if we admit it to ourselves and to our significant other, say, you know, I've got a shorter fuse. So, so forgive me if you start to sense it, but, you know, call timeout, like in a football or basketball game, call timeout, say timeout. And my wife has this great thing she does. She calls it a do-over where she'll say timeout. Could you try that sentence again without the patronizing tone or without the you stupid idiot implication that was underneath, you know, that you were trying to hide, but it was there? I went, oh, okay. I didn't even realize it was there. You know, so the fact that you can give each other as a couple a do-over, you can say, let's try this conversation one more time only without the you stupid idiot part. Um, and then the next thing is with couples, almost every couple's got a difference. You know, like there's always one couple who's a neat Nick and one couple who likes to have things casual around the house. Well, there's always one couple when raising a special needs kid where one person says, you know, we've got to get on this right away. We've got to, we've got, we've got to, we've got to make a list. We've got to, we've got to handle everything. We've got to bring in all the advisors, you know, and the other person say, chill, chill, chill. It's going to be fine. They're going to outgrow it. It's, it's going to get worked out, you know, and they want to kill each other from their different styles. Mm -hmm. so what if they actually are balanced with each other and they offer each other something? One of them is saying, there is some stuff we got to focus on. And the other one's saying, but can we do it from a less intense, ex agitated place? Because the agitation, I can't deal with. So if the two of them are talking to each other as partners and teammates who have this balancing style, they can say, this is our fight number one. My wife and I have this fight number, we call it our fight number one, where I will jump to a solution because I'm a Capricorn. Capricorns jump to mountain cab, crab, you know, crags, and, and they like where they are. My wife is Libra. And she will weigh a decision. She makes great decisions, but she can't be rushed. She has to weigh the decision. Even after she's ordered dinner, she's still looking at the menu and she's wondering, maybe if I change that, you know, so she's still, and she makes beautiful, wonderful decisions as long as I don't rush her or breathe her down her neck. I, on the other hand, you know, need sometimes for the decision to get made. Otherwise I go crazy. So that's our fight. Number one, if couples can say, this is our fight. We always have this fight when we're trying to talk about what to do with our kid. And the truth is, you're both right. The person who's saying, let's chill, let's try to do it without the intensity and the, 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 the ringing of our necks. The other person says, let's make sure we focus. The other thing that couples have to worry about is that there's often one person, sometimes the male, sometimes the female, who says, we don't need help. We can figure this out ourselves, you know, because guys, we're not supposed to ask for directions and all that stuff. But the truth is, you can say to your partner, if he or she is someone who says, we don't need any help, we don't need any outsiders, we're not sharing our dirty laundry with anybody. You can say, you know what? You are a great leader. You are a great manager. You are a great decision maker. And the, we know that the best manager and the best leader is the one who's one or two or three phone calls away from the answer to any question. You don't have to know the answer to the question, but you got to be one or two or three phone calls away. So you're building your cabinet. You're still the president or we're co-presidents or, you know, we're going to be the presidents, but we got to have a good cabinet. Let's make a good cabinet. Let's ask our cabinet for stuff. We still get to be the president or the co-president who makes the decisions. So when you stroke your partner's ego and say, you're a great leader, a great manager, and we, we can be one to three phone calls away from the answer to anything. Now you're working as teammates again, you're able to focus and the other person's able to say, yeah, maybe we do need some people in our cabinet, not to tell us what to do. Nobody's going to tell me what to do, but, but we've got advisors. I love that. I have, that's a much more compassionate place to be coming from. Uh, and, and I think there's a lot of us that, you know, having gotten through, 
all the things that we've gotten through, I see so many marriages that um, that don't make it because we can't get to this place. So it takes two to work on it, but I absolutely love this. I also uh, want to talk to you about in the book, because I think a lot of what I see people um, experiencing right now is some grief and loss. And sometimes it's specific, you know, maybe they lost a, a loved one, but time has been lost. And in the time things got lost. And, and what I hear people saying is, you know, how do I get back to being hopeful? How do I, I used to be somebody who believed that good things were going to happen uh, for me and for, and I wanted it for me and I wanted it for other people, but um, it's, it's so hard when you feel like things, you know, I'm watching the Olympics and seeing all these young people who plan every moment of their training to get to a specific peak at a specific time. And then that dream was deferred for a year. And for some people that worked out, but for some people it didn't, um, you know, and, and, and I, I see other people who are like, well, I was doing this and I got to this point, but then the pandemic shut it down. How do we get out of this funk? And, and, and how do you help us in the book get back to a place where we recognize ourselves as the hopeful people we were once before? No, that's a wonderful question. And people are losing so many things, you know, not just relatives, not just time, but sometimes you've promised your body a relief is coming soon. Mm -hmm. You know, we're coming out of pandemic quarantine or we're, we're going to be able to get some free time where the kid's going to be somewhere besides 24 hour homeschooling, you know, and you promise your body this and it doesn't come or it gets deferred and postponed. Your body is in grief. Your, your, your emotions are in grief. Your soul is in grief. So there's so much that people are sad about. And you have to ask yourself, well, what am I hopeful about? Or what am I able to say? There's some progress there. There's some progress there is a great way to hook into the hope. Did my dreams and my visions come true? Maybe not. But did I make some progress? And when you think about the Olympics, when you were talking just now, you know, who are we going to remember from this Olympics? We're going to remember, I think, Simone Biles. And we're going to remember that somebody who thought everything was about the perfect jump and whether the Russian person also gave her a six or a 10 or whatever, you know, she's going to become this incredible spokesperson about how to honor your truth and how to know when your limits are and how to do it with dignity and how to get support from other people when you do that. She's going to become this guru, I think, on how to really, really be a healthy person who aspires and knows when to take, step back and take a breath. And that's, that's a great teaching we all need right now, which is we aspire to all this stuff. A lot of it gets knocked off track by the, by the pandemic or by our kids being home or whatever it is that's knocked it off. Yeah. And then you say, but what am I learning and growing and improving even in the middle of that? And if you notice at least two things you've improved today, and I have to go back to something you said before about cleaning the house when you're, when you're stressed. Um, I once taught a writing class at UCLA Extension. We talked about what gets through writer's block. And for me, it's washing, it's washing a couple of dishes and getting them in the dishwasher. Is it the warm water that soothes my soul? Is it a sensory thing? Is it the success of this progress? It was a mess in the sink. Now it's in the thing. There's something about the progress of even accomplishing that. And if I can acknowledge it, if I can say, you know what? That was chaos. And now there's a little bit of order. It's still a lot of chaos, but there's a little bit of order. If you can notice the little bit of order or the little bit of progress or the little bit of improvement, your hopeful comes back. And when your hopeful's back, you've got some momentum. You've got momentum, you know, getting a couple of dishes in the dishwasher. And then now I can go back out and write because my writer's block has been broken by the fact that I'm actually not an idiot. I'm not completely shut down. I got the dishwasher. <laughs> um, and now I feel like, wow, I'm in a creative flow again. Anything that gets you into a creative flow again, into a self-acknowledging, there are some things I'm making progress about, that gets your hopeful back. And then you set goals. That, that are realistic, or maybe you're gonna need more resources. We need resources, we need help. One of the horrible things about the pandemic is all sorts of people who come in to help families couldn't come in because of the COVID. And it's like, whoa, that's the relief pitcher. And I've lost my fastball, my curveball, and my knuckleball. I need a relief pitcher, help, help, help. Hopefully, you know, there are gonna be relief pitchers again. There's gonna be somebody who's got good stuff, who's feeling fresh, and we get to then chill for 20 minutes or an hour or two hours and get your sense of, of hearing your own thoughts again. 
Well, I just think you're amazing all the way around. I, you know, I don't think we've ever actually met in person, but I know I've been at a lot of the same events that you've been at. And, and obviously I've been um, very aware of, uh, you know, our, our families have been on these parallel tracks. Um, so to read this, just amazing what a gift you are and your family is to the autism community. We're reminding people you can go on Amazon and get this, keeping your heart open, how to overcome the things that make us numb, cynical, or burned out. Uh, you know, when I opened this package that, um, that you sent with this book in it, which I was not expecting, um, I, I, I had a moment, like it just took my breath away for a moment because almost exactly 11 years ago, I was in my living room and I was not in a good headspace. And, and I was like, you know, what, what am I going to do with the rest of my life? We, you know, what I had made a deal, um, that I was going to, you know, I, I made a deal on my kitchen floor that if, if the God of my understanding helped me to help my child, that I would make sure that I helped other people. Wow. That I would that I would pay it forward, right? But I didn't know what that looked like, and I was at a little bit of a crossword uh, crossroads, and didn't know what to do because I felt this very push me pull you. If I had this kid, I had to help, and this mission that I had to go on because I promised, right? And uh, I happened to turn on the TV because often that's what I do. And Oprah had Keith Urban on her show. And I didn't know Keith Urban at the time, not a country music person, but um, she was asking him about his relationship with Nicole Kidman. And he said that she had asked him a really interesting question uh, or that she, one of them asked the other question, is your heart open? Was the question. And that, that it took him back and that uh, I think it was her asking the question. She said, no, is your heart open? And Oprah said, oh, that is the question. And she said, because whatever your heart is not, you can say you want something till the cows come home. But if your heart isn't open to it, it's not going to happen. It just doesn't show up. And she said, so if you're stuck someplace, you have to ask yourself, what is my heart open to? And then let, you know, let that flow through you. And I had been sitting there saying, I don't know what I'm going to do with the rest of my life um, because I want to do this. I want to do something, but I got to be able to be available to my kids. So I don't really want a job because that it will take me away. I want to be here for my kid. But I sat there and I thought, oh, well, that's interesting. My heart is not open 100%. So what would my heart be? I've never asked myself that question before. Never thought of asking what my heart was open to before, but I sat there and thought my heart would be open to doing something where I could make a difference, where I could still be there for my kid. And I'm not kidding you, within five minutes, my phone rang and it was Dr. Grand Pichet calling to see if I wanted to do this show. Wow. Yeah. And, and the, one of the beautiful parts is just how, how raw and real and vulnerable you got in order to get that, that. Yeah. That thing to come in. I mean, you really let yourself go there. That's that's powerful. But I don't, you know, the the expression of is your heart open was not something that was in my life. I think it's in your life and that you have that on a base. Like, you know, that's your, that's your base point. But I want to say to people, if that is, if you are in a place where that is not a question where you're asking yourself, I want to encourage you to ask it. And I I want to encourage you to get the book to start some of the exercises to get yourself to a point where it is your baseline. Um, but that set me on a road, you know, that thought and then her calling set me on a road that, that is why we're sitting here today. But this this whole thing about how to overcome the things that make us numb, cynical and burned out are, are all the things that I ever talk about <laughs> because I, you know, I, I can be in action or I can be completely numb and, and overwhelmed and burned out as so many other parents of kiddos on the spectrum or people who just have other considerations. So when I, when I opened it, I was like, who wrote this book? I was like, what? They're talking directly to me. What is going on here? Um, and then when I realized who you were, that you were Alani's dad, I was like, oh, well, okay. Uh, this makes this makes total, total sense. So great book, very timely for, I believe, all of us, certainly for me. I felt like it's that thing of, uh, you know, uh, 
singing his pain, singing my pain with his song. I felt as if he was singing directly to me. I felt like you were singing directly to me, Dr. Felder, uh, which is a sign that you're doing things really well. So thank you for this. Um, again, people can go on Amazon and get it. Keeping your heart open, how to overcome the things that make us numb, cynical, or burnt out. Uh, it's truly a book for our times written by Dr. Leonard Felder. And we thank you for being with us, Dr. Felder. Well, thank you. I really enjoyed this. Super fun. I, I look forward to getting to meet you and your wife in person when okay. the pandemic is over. In person, um, I have hair. It's just on TV that I'm bald. <laughs> well, I don't know if you know this about me, but I, I like I cut my hair again. And you could tell my mental wellness by how short my hair is. <laughs> and, uh, and I cut my hair again. I, I aspire to be bald. Uh, it's the thing I want most in life, um, as witnessed by how I keep cutting my hair off. So there we go. So uh, you'll when when we meet in person, you will have hair and I won't. Okay. <laughs> we'll be open and equal and even. All right. Thank you so much. And I want to thank everybody for being here, saying hello to Guadam and to Helen and to Rain. I'm so glad that you guys are all here. Uh, we'll be back tomorrow with more Autism Live. We have, uh, it's Temple Brandon Tuesday tomorrow. Can't wait for you to see that. And then live with Dr. Doreen Grant-Shea on Wednesday. Thank you again, Dr. Felder. Thank you to all of you. We'll see you tomorrow. Until then, give your kiddos a hug from me and one for you too. Bye-bye for now. Have a good week. <laughs>